G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations, Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. There is a very strong prophetic side to the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. And in today's program, we're going to see how so many of his moves in the gospel fulfilled the word of the Lord. Stay tuned. Our series is entitled The Kingly Messiah. Understanding the Gospel of Matthew, Part 1, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of our larger Understanding the Bible series. And we are now moving house with Jesus. He had been living in Nazareth basically for 30 years. He wasn't born there. He was born in Bethlehem. But he went there at a very young age, probably less than two weeks old, because that's where his family was from. They only went to Bethlehem out of duress, to fulfill a Roman-ordered census in the days of Augustus Caesar, and when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Good to have those notes in there. And now, after 30 years, Jesus entered into public ministry, but he wouldn't be based in Nazareth. He would be based in a place called Capernaum. Part of the reason he wouldn't be based in Nazareth is not because it wasn't centrally located. It was actually very close to the Armageddon Valley and to the International Highway. But part of the reason he wouldn't be in Nazareth is because they had rejected him. You can read the account in Luke chapter 4. It was actually lethal for him to stay in a place where everybody knew him, probably less than 300 inhabitants in Nazareth at that time. But there's another reason, a very, very important reason why Jesus made the move from Nazareth to Capernaum, which is approximately 68 kilometers or 42 miles to the northeast of Nazareth. Why did he do it? Because, as is written, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, See, our lesson is called Move from Nazareth to Capernaum. And the reading will be from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Matthew constantly uses this phrase, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. The reason is simple. Matthew is building the case that Jesus of Nazareth was not just a holy man, not just a wonder worker, and not just a prophet. He is the prophesied coming son of David, who will not just rule from David's throne, but also he will give his life as a ransom for the world. These two things, the sacrifice of Messiah and the triumph of Messiah, are the twin themes found in Scripture. But it wasn't always obvious 
to the original recipients of Scripture, the Jewish people. They saw Messiah, and understandably so, as one that would triumph over all Israel's enemies, and then rule from the throne of David. But that's not how it worked. It also talked about a suffering Messiah. We read about him in Psalm 22. We read about him in Isaiah 53. We read about him in Daniel chapter 9, a suffering Messiah. And it actually says in Daniel 9 that Messiah would be cut off, meaning he would be killed and not just for himself, and actually uses the phrase Messiah. So this was something hard to reconcile, but in Christ and with the help of the New Testament and the leading of the Holy Spirit, the pieces of the puzzle fit together nicely. Now remember that before Jesus makes his move to establish headquarters at the Lake of Galilee, He was in Judea, of course, being tempted in the wilderness, and prior to that, being baptized in water. He returns to Galilee. Then he learns that John the Baptist had been imprisoned by Herod Antipas. So, therefore, Jesus departs to Galilee after hearing of John's imprisonment. So, then he moves from Nazareth. He first of all returns to Nazareth because that's where he's from. Then he moves from Nazareth. And then all of this is written by Matthew to say that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1, that the people who lived in darkness have seen a great light. Well, then with that finishes, he commences his preaching ministry. Anyone that comes to Jesus will not be in darkness. As we know, and as we will continue to learn, When you come to Jesus, you have the light of the world. Okay, and now we're going to read the entire portion from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Our lesson is called, Move from Nazareth to Capernaum. Reference, Matthew chapter 4, 12 to 17. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the border of Zebulun and Nephthalim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephthalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our reading is from Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. And our lesson is called, Move from Nazareth to Capernaum. All right. Very important verses because it positions Jesus to reach his nation and the world. Here's a little background. Remember that Jesus of Nazareth made his public appearance in Israel through the baptism of John at the Jordan River. After his baptism, where the triune God makes an appearance, Heavenly Father speaks from heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes from heaven in the form of the dove and lands on Jesus, symbolizing his anointing in the Holy Spirit, or shall we say, symbolizing the fact that he's not just anointed, he is the anointed one, HaMashiach, the Messiah or, as they say in Greek, Christos, the Christ. This presentation at the Jordan River 
was followed up by 40 days of fasting and temptation in the Judean wilderness, of which Jesus passed the test with flying colors. From here, his earthly ministry commences in earnest. So we begin with verse 12 of Matthew 4, return to Galilee. Afterwards, John the Baptist was imprisoned by Herod Antipas because he confronted the Tetrarch about his incestuous relationship with Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother, Philip. And if we're not mistaken, Herodias may have also been both men's niece. So it's doubly incestuous. Therefore, because John incurred the wrath of Herodias, Herod dutifully did his wife's bidding and cast him into prison. As we'll learn later, Herodias puts pressure on Herod to behead John the Baptist. He wouldn't do it, but then he fell for a ploy when his stepdaughter, Salome, did the Dance of the Seven Veils at his birthday party. And it's funny, there's only been two birthday parties in Scripture. One was with uh, Pharaoh in the days of Joseph, and the other was Herod here in the days of Jesus and the New Testament. And both times, evil came out of those birthday parties. No, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a birthday party, but I'm just saying it's interesting. It's only twice mentioned in Scripture. Herod has a birthday party. Salome dances the seven veils. She pleases Herod greatly. He promises her very foolishly to give her whatever she wants, up to half of his kingdom. And she goes to her mother, what should I ask for? And the mother says, it's simple. Let's bring John the Baptist's head on a platter to me. Very grisly present for Herodias. Salome makes the request. Herod, of course, couldn't back down. He had all these guests looking at him. So he has John summarily executed, takes the head, puts it on a platter, gives it to Salome, and Salome takes the grisly thing to her mother. And John is buried, but uh, Jesus highly commends him, and, of course, he is in divine glory. Well, we go on. Jesus hears this terrible news. And then he departs from Judea back to Galilee. So, with that, there is the move from Nazareth to Capernaum. And it's said very simply, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. What does this mean? Jesus returned to Galilee, obviously included a visit to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, in Matthew, there is no explanation. Jesus just basically leaves Nazareth and goes to dwell at the lakeside city of Capernaum, which sits on the border of Zebulun and Naphtali. It is a distance, as I said earlier, of 68 kilometers or 42 miles to the northeast. Today, there is a dirt, most of the way, pathway between these two cities and it is part of what we call the Jesus Trail. The Jesus Trail, which as far as I can tell was very, very well researched, seeks to replicate or discover the probable pathway Jesus took between these two cities that were very important to him, one where he came from and one where he was based in ministry. And I have had the privilege of doing the Jesus Trail twice now with a group of uh, Australian pilgrims. We've had a great time, and hopefully we'll do it again. We literally do see things that the average tourist will never see, because we actually walk where Jesus walked, whereas most groups, of course, they will drive where Jesus walked. Understandable with the shortness of time. In fact, for us, 
the Jesus Trail takes four days because, well, we're going about 17 kilometers a day. All right, what else do we learn? Prophecy fulfilled. When Jesus changed his base from Nazareth to Capernaum, he was fulfilling prophecy. Amazing. What prophecy was it? It came from Isaiah, the greatest of Old Testament prophets. And it speaks, first of all, of two tribal territories. Remember that Zebulun is one of the tribes of Israel, one of the founding fathers, and he had a tribal allotment in the north of the country. Naphtali, or Naphtali, he also had a tribal inheritance next to Zebulun, and it too was in the north. Both of them abutted each other in the Sea of Galilee region. We're talking about the area where the tribe was from. And it's said that these two tribes were by the way of the sea. Now, that term, by the way of the sea, is known as via maris. Via maris. V-I-A-M-A-R-I-S. The via maris was the Afro-Eurasian highway that runs through Israel, linking the two landmasses, that's Africa and Eurasia, together. This highway has been in use for millennia, but was closed in 1948 due to the state of war between the Arabs and the newly born state of Israel. Especially, it's the part where Israel and Syria are neighbors. That That's the part that's been really closed. Now, according to Isaiah 19, verses 23 to 25. It speaks of the highway opening again during the kingdom period or the millennium. Now, it doesn't use that phrase in Isaiah, but that's really when it would be. So, the highway will reopen, connecting Egypt with Assyria via Israel. And God says some amazingly wonderful things about Egypt, his people, Assyria, the work of his hands, and Israel, his inheritance. That'll be a wonderful period, of course, and it happens when the Lord returns. Now, it uses the phrase, beyond Jordan. What does this beyond Jordan refer to? Well, we believe it refers to the Jordan River. There was no country of Jordan in the time of the New Testament. There were kingdoms like in Gilead, Ammon, Moab, and Edom. Jordan is the river, so it's the area around the river. And remember that the river runs in a north-south direction through the great Syro-African Rift Valley, which is the world's longest and deepest gash, or world's longest and deepest geological fault line. The Rift Valley hosts the Red Sea, the Arabah, the Valley of the Desert in the south, the Dead Sea itself and Jordan Valley, the Jordan Valley is where much of the Jordan River runs through, though not exclusively. The Sea of Galilee is in the Rift Valley, and so is the Hula Basin in the far north. So when it uses the phrase Galilee of the Gentiles, it's another way of saying Galilee of the nations. Galilee, the word, actually means ring, R-A-N-G, and its neighbors are Gentiles. Galilee is ringed by Gentiles especially in this case, Arameans, Syrians, Phoenicians. So this is, of course, a little description. Jesus moves into this beautiful area that has seen a lot of dark. Why? Because, as we're going to discover, the highway, that great 
international highway via Morris, Way of the Sea, brought with it not just trading caravans, not just tourists and pilgrims. It brought conquering armies. And let's be honest, these great empires to the west of Israel, to the east and north of Israel, they did not ask for permission to bring their armies, either to come through the country or to come to the country in conquest. That's the problem of being a land bridge between three continents. People walk all over you. So the prophecy of Isaiah 9, verse 1 and onward, continues that the people who walked in darkness saw a great light. And though they were in a region under the shadow of death, light has sprung up. So remember, the area around the Sea of Galilee, in the Rift Valley, and the nearby plain of Gennesaret, which is to the west of the Sea of Galilee, they looked tranquil, peaceful, and stable. But because of this Via Maris, or International Highway, it was subject to invasion and conquest again and again. That is why it's called the region and shadow of death. Uninvited international guests brought death and destruction. And we read about this several times in the Old Testament. The place names that are listed, having been conquered by these outside forces, are the same place names again and again, because they were on the invasionary route. They lived in darkness. These are Israelite cities, Aon and Dan and Abel Beit Malka. All these were cities in the shadow of darkness. But the coming of the Prince of Life and the light of the world, Jesus of Nazareth, brought God's light to this much-troubled region. Again, if you ever look at a map in the back of your Bible of the Sea of Galilee, remember that much of Jesus' ministry, it wasn't done around the whole of the lake. It was done on the northwest quarter of the shore. From Magdala, which is in the central west coast, that's where Mary Magdalene comes from, and then go northward and eastward to Capernaum and to Bethsaida. That northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee is the stage of Jesus' ministry. He did not visit Tiberias, which is the main city on the west coast, and he only once, to our knowledge, visited the east side of the lake to cast out the legion of devils from the Gadarene demoniac. Finally, in Matthew 4.17, Jesus' preaching ministry commences, because once he made the move from Nazareth to Capernaum, his Galilee ministry commences in earnest. And he had a simple message, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If Jesus told them back then to repent, how much more do we need to do the same today? And so our lesson is called, move from Nazareth to Capernaum. And what is our lesson for life? Only by repentance, confession, and faith are we fit to enter into the kingdom that has no end. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations Education, and thank you for liking our page. You can also go to our homepage to subscribe to the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter. We aim to give you value-added communication to help you become future-ready with articles from the Bible, victorious living, and current events in the light of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the Gospel of Matthew and for Jesus' move to Capernaum. Once he came, a bright light began to shine throughout Galilee, Israel, 
and the world. Help us to remember that as we follow Jesus, we will never be in darkness, but have the light of life. In his marvelous name we pray. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.